0: All right, well, I think we're going to go ahead and get started then. We're five minutes after. Um. So I kind of want to let people know I th- this will be uh, recorded for release as like a, a podcast video thing if uh, everybody's Oh, oh man, that. that's sick. Yeah, just to kind of like yeah, document man, our discussions. Great. And then like if, if there's some week that you can't make it for some reason, you'll be able to listen to the discussion, you know? You know. Ah, uh, uh, but anyway, so... Oh, man,
1: it's oh, exciting that my, my my voice has been recorded. Heck yeah. Dude, imagine if imagine just someone was just listening, and I'm just boasting how much I read, even though and how much I don't read. That would be said so funny.
0: <laughs> oh, you're good. Um, but yeah, so this... Uh, it's, it's, I'm being satirical. Sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, this week, we're we're kind of focused on answering the question of what is a Soviet? And I think... We have a couple people who who did read the stuff. Um, if if anybody, we're just gonna kind of go around and anybody comfortable answer uh, comfortable answering that question of what they gleaned from the readings this week, what a Soviet actually is. I know Banfield Panda is going to type a response, which I will read aloud uh, just for purpose of keeping it in the recording. But if anybody else uh, wants to take a crack at it.
2: hello yep you're working
3: um so what i kind of got i was pretty confused um i didn't have a chance to read it over again but what i sort of understood was a soviet was um it was separate from like a organized um uh, like a workers' council, like organized factory workers and making their own government. but it also it wasn't completely separate. It was like a workers' party in a kind of way where it was working in um, it was trying to establish itself as a form of government that wasn't um, solely tied to or connected to factories in a sense.
0: I think you've hit some decent points there with what everything is um you're when you're saying it's separate from uh like councils i I think explicitly what you're talking about is is the factory level councils and there's there's Mm -hmm. sometimes confusion i think in the the terminology that gets used because soviet obviously is just the russian translation of the word council so it becomes a little ambiguous when you are confusing when you say that it's it's uh, Soviet is something different from a council the The way I like to try to mm. conceptually separate those the, the the Soviet kind of deals with the political sphere and the factory committees is the one that deals more with the direct uh, organization of the factory and the economic sphere okay. Now that's yeah. not like okay. Got that's that's not like a a hard and fast distinction. I, as you mentioned, they're they're very related. They have a lot of overlap and things like that. Um
1: okay. I'd probably say it's open up. To, I'd probably say it's open up to some interpretation. Well.
0: So, yeah, a little bit. And I, I just like to like mentally refer to the the factory committees that are organizing in the factory at uh, kind of directing production at a factory level as the factory committee, where the where the Soviet is more concerned with uh, political direction of all of the factories or, or the workers' government in general. Uh, so I think that's a pretty good answer. Um, if anybody else wants to kind of take a crack at it, uh, Banfield-Panity has something there. Okay, so Banfield says, uh, after reading all four articles two times, each was that a Soviet council is essentially a municipal level government in which only the proletarian has the right to representation. Which is pretty accurate as well. Uh, one of one of the um hallmarks of a soviet is the exclusion of non-proletarian classes from representation from political representation basically it's it's the dictatorship of the proletariat or the republic of labor or a workers government it gets referred to as various things but it all basically comes to the same thing For my part, for my answer, if I were to try to define a Soviet, I would call it basically a strike committee writ large that has decided to fight for political power for itself, onto its own, for its own interests. Uh, and I, I think thinking about it as a strike committee helps to conceptualize where Soviets can kind of start to come from because every strike committee has to deal with things like coordinating food for people on picket lines, coordinating transportations. And once you start getting into questions like that, it starts to become more political in a sense, because then you're having to deal not just with operations inside of a factory, but now with social reproduction on a larger scale. And even even in recent history, um, people may remember the West Virginia teachers strike where all of the teachers were striking And they had to coordinate statewide um, to get lunches and breakfasts delivered for school students that were on like assisted uh, lunch and breakfast programs and they were able to like coordinate this across the state to get food delivered and once you start engaging in the control of social reproduction like that you're starting to actually become like an alternate state power. Uh, so I, I think it's important to kind of understand that conceptually about the Soviet, that it is something fighting for political power, it's something that is exclusive to the working class or the proletariat, and that it is involved in the daily affairs of the working class. It's involved in questions of transportation, uh, security, and social reproduction more generally. I, I kind of kept the reading light for a first week. Um, so unfortunately, that's kind of the only question to discuss this week. There's no uh, h- historical chronology or anything like that. Um, but for you, you said uh, sorry, wall of text, fella. You you enjoyed the uh, the the two chapters. They were pretty reasonable, you would think, for a reading for next week. I can pull those up real quick. Wait. Wait. I,
1: understand. I, understand. Do I had two chapters. I read them, but I found them a bit confusing and I focused like tried to get through them. I, I could understand what they were saying. I didn't understand what you no know, Trotsky was saying, but I kind of found it like a bit confusing to get through something like that that's that's my interpretation. That's what what I took out of it, reading it I got today. You,
0: I gotcha. Um. Yeah, and when we get to it next week and discuss it, we'll um we'll definitely try to address any of those questions. If if you can, in in the process of your reading, if you have like specific questions you want to write down and like bring up, uh, that could be useful for discussion material.
1: Oh yeah, put them in the the discussion.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would work. Okay, so Banfield Panda has written a question, uh, which is: Wouldn't yeah. under my definition of Soviets, Soviets would stop becoming Soviets? upon their continued existence and the dissolution of the bourgeois state." How do you mean, unfortunately, sorry I have to ask a question to the question, what do you mean that they would stop being Soviets on their continued existence? Ah yes, so Banfield Panda is referring to where I said that what defines a Soviet is their struggle for power. Yeah, um, once once they achieve, that's kind of like part and parcel. Like it's not the whole aspect of them, if that makes sense. While they're emerging, they would would have to struggle for power if they were to be like a real Soviet. Like the 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 council and committee that in the West Virginia teacher strike that was coordinating for food delivery and stuff, they weren't actually struggling for political power, so they couldn't be classified as a Soviet because they weren't struggling for that. But had they started to directly uh, struggle for political power, then they would have started to transform themselves just from like a strike committee type organization into one that is now becoming a Soviet type organization. And had they succeeded, that's not more hypothetical here, if they had succeeded in um, gaining political power and, like, ousted and dissolved the bourgeois state, then they would seek to hold on to that power to continue to coordinate social reproduction and things like that and export the revolution kind of globally, sort of thing. Um, The the question of what becomes or happens to a Soviet post complete dissolution of the bourgeois state is that i think bordiga maybe mentioned this in one of the articles that the soviet kind of ceases to be as important as the factory committees now start to kind of direct uh production at like the factory level and the soviet kind of becomes more responsible for planning on a a larger scale and just kind of coordinating between the factory committees yeah, Banfield Panda asks. So the struggling part of their definition is a characteristic of their origin and not their nature as a whole. Correct? Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, we can talk a little bit about the uh, the distinction then between the the factory committee and a workers council or soviet. Uh, I've kind of talked a little bit about that already. Where. In in the pre-revolutionary period, Bordiga mentions that uh, trade unions are kind of what correspond most closely to what eventually becomes the factory committees in that trade unions are kind of uh, exclusively economic organizations. And of course, that's not entirely true. Trade unions do participate in political activities, but for the most part, they're kind of an economics uh, organization. So, factory committees uh, focus on organizing and managing production within a factory. It's kind of the evolved revolutionary form of a trade union. And Bordiga makes the point that the pre-revolutionary form of a Soviet is going to be your revolutionary party. Um, a, a Marxist-Communist party that is seeking to struggle for power for the working class is kind of a pre-revolutionary. Uh, type of Soviet. It can't really have a specific form of organization because if they aren't actually in the process of struggling for political power, then they can't have a, a concrete form. If that makes sense. Uh, do it does does this kind of conversation kind of help people uh, understand a little bit more about what what a Soviet is exactly? Do people find this kind of helpful? Like I know, um, Jakey, you didn't or uh i don't know how you prefer to be referred to you keep changing your name man (laughs) jakey have you uh found the discussion helpful despite not having read the articles
4: um a little bit Uh, i think once i because i think i did read the articles weeks ago so if i go back
0: i think it'll be making a little more sense okay okay so you did read the articles you're just trying to dodge the discussion i got it <laughs> all right well banfield panda thinks the conversation has been helpful but he's kind of a suck up anyway so you know
4: <laughs> sorry i was i was busy funding yeah, uh cia money to side streamers
0: Uh, so, Juice, did you uh, read the four articles for this week, or were you just kind of dropping in to listen in?
5: No, I did. I did read them. I I just saw you all were on. I'm um, at a Fourth of July party, and I said, "What? Well, what better to celebrate our nation's independence and figure out how to overthrow it?" So, yeah, I did. Uh, I did read Heck the yeah. articles. Right. Um, uh, let me see. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, I. I don't know if I can comment a whole lot on it. I thought that it was it was my first time reading anything by like uh, what was that Kropotkin Vardiga? right? Not Kropotkin, but Bordiga. Yeah, so yeah. If the question were posed so to you now, then
0: what is a Soviet based on your reading? How would you how would you answer that now?
5: Right. So <laughs> sounds good, Ryder. <laughs> you'll you'll be fine. You'll do great. Um. Well, if I was gonna say, like, what is a Soviet? I mean, it's a you know, it's it's a it's like a a, a wor- an organization of workers, workers council, an industrial workers council. You know, would it, the closest thing I think that we have to it is something like a something like a union, but the the character of it is is political. You know, it's um, it's it's not there to uh struggle for. Reforms to make workers' lives better—it's it's it's there to it's it's the it's the arm of of power, you know that uh, that the workers it's the wedge that the workers drive into the system in order to, um, you know, create opportunities to you know exploit for the betterment of class. I think so. the 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 political character of the of the Soviet is unique compared to anything that. That I think that we have a, a model for here. So yeah, getting the definition of it and understanding that it has that program and that inherent political character uh, is is I think essential to understanding maybe what it is and what sets the Soviet system or like a council system apart from you know our current conception. Yeah, I, I really like that you bring
0: up the uh, the reform angle there because like you said, they're not there to like seek reforms from somewhere else they're there to do the reforms so to speak which kind of makes them revolutionary and not reformist just kind of by nature they're not there to say hey we need to uh you know get get better health care for people they're there to go into the hospitals and say hey guess what now you guys are going to get paid from the soviet and you're just going to treat every worker that walks in there now you know, they're not there to set up a healthcare plan. They're there to interact directly with healthcare workers because they're organized through their uh, factory councils, which then report to a more centralized Soviet and say, "Look, you're gonna get your uh, your wage from us, and you're gonna treat everybody who comes in there." Now, you know, it's it's a it's a broad sweeping revolutionary move because that's that's how a Soviet operates. It operates as an uh, organization of action and uh, not just. Legislative, it's also executive at the same time. So I really like that you bring that up. Say again? Oh, yeah.
4: They are the health care plan. I, th- I said they are essentially the health care plan.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting way of looking at it, too, because, I mean, we don't often think of the I think the structures that manage our health care, like insurance companies, we don't think of insurance companies as being political organizations. You know, workers certainly do not think of insurance companies as political organizations, but try to implement, uh, try to implement, uh, you know, universal health care and see how apolitical yeah, these right, insurance exactly. companies they would, are. They would
0: start right? to um, Refused to pay for any costs that doctors would incur. Um, like I said, the the Soviet would immediately have to take on the responsibility of paying for healthcare workers, basically, because nobody else would do it, uh, because it would no longer be run for profit. That would. More or less, be their relationship to any sort of industry that they kind of organize. You know, if if they're organizing like transportation, like public transport kind of stuff, they're gonna have to take on the responsibility of um, funding train drivers, bus drivers. However, however, public transit happens to be handled in whichever locality we are talking about. You know. Uh but but no, you go on. Oh.
5: Well, you know, and, and I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but, uh, but to say like, and and we're getting ready to get into the Russian revolution. That's my first time wading into these waters is the same as a lot of other people. But so that, that's, that all sounds great, but what, what are the limitations of like, what, what are the, the critical, um, sort of, uh, situations that emerge, uh, out, like out of this system?
0: like the the soviet system itself
5: yeah sure like you know uh, you know abstractly just like what what sort of things like should we maybe be looking for um like what contradictions will emerge as a function of the soviet system as opposed to i it's don't know other question.
0: I think um other configurations one of the things you see immediately uh, and I'm anticipating here, but immediately kind of in a post nineteen seventeen world where the Soviet kind of takes on the responsibility of of paying workers directly they're they're just kind of printing money because they just they just need more money to pay for stuff, so you get like rampant inflation, but that's not necessarily like a bug it's kind of a feature because we're we're here to ultimately break the currency system and capitalism in general, so as you are using it. To break itself, like you're, like I said, you have to pay these people somehow because those are just the systems we have in place now. Those systems are going to break down, and as they break down, you have to move from a currency-based thing into, like, well, if the Soviets are already organizing healthcare workers and food-producing workers and transportation workers, and they're all connected through the Soviet, instead of going through the medium of currency. How about everybody who just has a Soviet membership card can just, like, show up and be like, hey, I'm a member of a Soviet, so uh, I'll just I'll just take the healthcare for free. And then the healthcare workers can be like, yo, I'm a member of a Soviet, so I'll just take take the food for free. And in, in return, the Soviet plans to make sure that all these resources are available for that. If there's rationing that's necessary, then that can be uh, distributed, ration card kind of things, you know, just in, in an immediately post-revolutionary situation, shit's going to be kind of chaotic, I'm sure. Um, as it was in in Russia, but um, yeah, the, the idea is that you're then no longer having to mediate your labor through the medium of currency, but it will be made directly social, is kind of the most abstract way to put it, is that private labor would be now directly social instead of private and then indirectly made social through the medium of exchange, which won't make too much sense unless you've read Capital, but I know Juice has, so... Uh, does that kind of help answer your question a little bit, Juice?
5: Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I you know, I just wanted to see, like, what your two cents were on that, because I figured you'd probably have a pretty, pretty good answer. I'm just, like, looking for, I mean, I guess as we wade into this, I'm going to kind of be looking for patterns that start to emerge, and uh, I, I don't know, it just uh, helps to... Uh, I think, to begin to break down, like, what's happening in the political economy of the situation, like, being able to, oh, when this happens, then, you know, when I see this, then this is likely to happen. and uh, I don't know. I, I find oh, yeah, that it's being not like realism, so I'm kind of confused. It's,
1: like, so I was saying, like, this is going to happen. I was saying, like...
0: No, you're right. Like, um. so... Yeah, I think in general juice that's, that's a good perspective to have going into this uh the the reason specifically I've chosen to to focus on the three revolutions that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the, the Russian Revolution, the German Revolution and the Chinese Revolution. I think these three revolutions kind of form more or less a a prototype that you can then stereotype other movements onto. Oh, you all right?
2: I, I'm okay. on a call. <laughs> Okay, yeah, no worries. Yeah, my family thing, thanks.
5: Okay. I was listening to someone just pulled up on a golf cart.
1: (laughs) Mm You in Florida?
5: No, no. (laughs) Lord, no. No, I'm in Ohio. Uh But uh, we got golf carts in Ohio. Yikes.
2: Getting
0: some of that spicy Uh, water. Yeah. (laughs) So... You you can kind of roughly use the three revolutions we're going to study kind of as your your, your framework for understanding kind of other movements and other places as they progress. the The Russian Revolution is kind of the most useful one to start with, not only because it happened before the other two, but because it was done to completion. The working class genuinely took power in Russia and held it for an extended period of time. In Germany, it got close, but it was an aborted attempt, and China has interesting things going on oh. as well. So it's interesting to compare the German Revolution to the Russian Revolution and then the Chinese Revolution to uh, the Russian Revolution as well, just to kind of say, oh, this was done differently or this mm-hmm. way or that way or what worked and what didn't.
1: No, I really, uh, I really,
5: I'm really glad that I, I read that book on the German revolution. I mean, like just, I mean, it was, it took me a while and it was, um, it was a difficult read, but, and, and I'm, I definitely, I think would benefit from going back over it with y'all, but, um, I mean, I just that, just that book alone and being able to study that with y'all, um, had given me so much great context that I'm actually able to bring into organizing. I mean, it's it's kind of insane because, you know, Germany was an extremely industrialized society. They were, I mean, that those conditions were, I don't know, like closer to ours than something that was just a mostly agrarian peasant society. And, you know, it, I found, you know, that the, the study of that, I think, is really, I found to be very useful. And I bring it into conversations and discussions all the time so yeah i'm i've learned a little bit but i'm definitely looking forward to getting into the soviet revolution and then also the chinese the i don't know the the various chinese revolutions i i know nothing about china more or less
1: yeah the thing about china is that
0: there's chinese people there oh, yeah i i, I do and forget you that, that you had read the uh, the brew book with us or brow i don't know how to say the guy's last name all <laughs> respects to him but oh,
2: my God. White. Yes. you've been here forever
5: yeah yeah man it, it's it's a little crazy
1: <gasps> yes Yeah, I'm glad you are able to um, find that book useful and you
0: could apply it to your own organizing experience and everything. Like you said, it's it's definitely more immediately relevant than Russia just because Germany was experiencing a, a more industrialized version of a revolution, so to speak.
5: And, and you know, you, a lot of things from the German Revolution come up a lot. You know, you often hear, you know, a lot of times people will, will talk about Rosa Luxemburg and some of the things that she's written in. She's a great writer, and she had a lot of great ideas, you know. Uh, but without a lot of the larger context, it's, I think, a lot of people that I work with they don't realize that she was like dead wrong about shit. Like there was stuff that she just got like her and like the, you know, the, the, that faction and the SP payday, they were just, they were always playing catch up. It seems like, and, uh, and things played out in a lot of different ways, but very early on, you know, yeah. like she, she didn't make it past what 1918 or whatever. um, and and that's you know that's a damn tragedy but like you also hear a lot uh, another thing you hear all the time is is about they talk about or people will talk about that and they talk about the german revolution and they'll use that as like a like a pretext to condemn social democracy and i'm not here to like defend social democracy god knows but like
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I call that, it the moderate I'm wing of fascism.
5: Completely ahistorical. A- like most arguments I hear that like that are ahistorical. Sorry, what were you saying?
1: Yeah, I'd call it the moderate wing of fascism, to be honest.
5: Yeah, right. And and that gets I and, and that I, I I hear that and there's I think there's definitely some truth to it.
1: You know, there's but always a way that. What's that? But there's some why to that statement.
5: Well, I just, I, well, I, I would say that in, in our situation, like, well, at least in my situation specifically, cause I'm in the U.S., a lot of people are social Democrats and I can't just like, I, I can't get anything done if I'm walking around calling them fascists. And also that's not accurate, you know? So like social democracy and, and the ideology of it, obviously, you know, when you look at when you look at German social democracy, you had you had Rosa Luxemburg as a member of the SPD, but you also had Ebert as the the leader of the SPD. You know, so like it it, it was uh, the the contradictions were already present in it. You know, and like does that does that condemn social democracy? Does that mean that everybody who considers themselves a democratic socialist or a social democrat is basically carrying on the tradition of, uh, a lot of, of like these pre fascism fascists. Like, I don't think so. And, it, and, and, and not in their heart. So like, like, while I can, like, I can personally accept, like, I, I can see, like, I, I agree with it. And I think that it's true. And because we have to, like, we have to be careful about how we define these social movements. I mean, we're, we're communists like we we have a higher standard than a lot of other these a a lot of other um i don't know like uh like disciplines or political ideas you know but also like a lot of people are just sort of like on their journey and i don't want to alienate people from the truth just because they have some muddle-headed ideas about the way that government works you know
0: yeah, I think yeah, because as soon as you do that, they just too, go the other the, direction. The Bolsheviks are the Russian Social Democratic yep. <laughs> Labor Party. The the communist label wasn't really applied until a couple of years, or you know, uh, uh, like right mm. around the turn of nineteen seventeen, nineteen eighteen, that they started calling themselves communist. So, yeah, social democrat was kind of what the Marxist oh faction I never knew of that. the Germans. Referred to themselves as, as opposed to the, um, the the Ah, I can't say his name, but anyway, the Leszalians, and um, once they merged, they all became the Social Democrats at that point. But um, the the split only really happened with the Social Democrats around the time of the uh, German Revolution, 1918 kind of period. So, and and the line that you're referring to, that like Social dem- Democracy is kind of like just social fascists is kind of the line. it's a it's a third period policy. And when we do get into the history of the German Revolution, we will look at that specifically and how that policy
3: Man. oh yeah
0: yeah, that was the official oh, yeah. I think third social is yeah, social, on, uh, fascism the is social probably democratic better parties at that point. That. I, I know we're anticipating a lot because this is uh you know, the the unit on the history of the Russian mm. Revolution, but I did kind of want to expand the conversation just to kind of let people know that. Uh just give like an overview of what we're gonna be discussing here in the next uh about about a year and a half we'll be studying Russia, Germany, and China. So stick with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it'll it'll be good stuff. It'll take us a while to get through everything, but we'll be so meticulous. Oh my it is, it is, but the time will pass whether or not we read, so we may as well pass ourselves in the process, right? Awesome. <laughs> But yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and right. say for a feeler tester for next discussion. Let's when you say that you read the first two chapters, did you include the preface in that? Sweet. Okay, so you read the preface in chapter one, right?
3: Yes. Let's try the to- preface was included.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll try and right. do that for next week then. I think uh, chap- Preface chapter one and chapter, chapter two, two, and I will post all of this in the announcements. I'll make the announcement um, Sunday. I'll put it in text form just in the uh, book discussion channel just so the Sunday time slot can see it as well, see if they agree, disagree, if they think it's too much or too little or whatever, and we can kind of just come come to a conclusion together. Uh, but if uh, does anybody else kind of have any comments, thoughts, questions, concerns moving forward before we kind of uh, adjourn? Uh,
4: kind of off base, but I wanted to return to that comment you said about the three main revolutions, that being of the Russian, German, and Chinese. Uh and it's re- and I really only bring it up because I'm reading a biography about Che Guevara at the time. But uh, where where would you put um, the... Would you not consider the uh, Cuban Revolution a true revolution in the sense of those three? How would you define that? I know that's kind of out of the purview of, of what
0: we I'm read. I'm on the spot I now. No, so, so the real reason why, <laughs> the reason why I that. picked those three revolutions is... Because they all emanate out of the <laughs> revolutionary wave that came right out of World War One. So you had World War One then 1917, you've got Russia that falls, 1918 through 1923, you've got craziness in Germany, and then in the 1920s, you have it reverberate through China. Now, that's not to say those are the only three nations where... Uh, chaos was happening. There were factory seizures in Italy. There were mass strikes in Britain. There was all kind of shit going all down, all over the world. But those are the three nations where it hit a crisis climax point where revolution was possible to actually succeed. So those are the three places that I like to study because they're very interconnected. Uh, the reason I don't include things like Cuba or I mean, if you want to pick any kind of thing, like like Chile or um, anything like that, yeah, basically, is because they tend not—because where Russia Inserts was wildly American successful country and was able to reverberate other places, other ones—yeah, Banfield Panda points out that there was even stuff going down in Argentina at the time, and he's not wrong. Um, but Russia reverberated really hard because it was wildly successful, Cuba was small enough that it's contained, so it's harder to study its echoes. Instead of having kind of a cohesive unit of reading, wow. you'd you'd have to kind of like pick over like spot here, spot there, spot there. Yeah, if that
2: makes sense.
4: Pick something here, and oh. then go over here, oh. and then go over
2: here.
1: Oh. That thing is off. The sad thing is, like, the Soviet Union... Yeah, so I've, of, like, I've
0: cleverly dodged your question about the my states opinion in, like, on Cuba uh, apart. I'm just going to have to, like, pro- profess ignorance is kind of the thing. I, I haven't... It's not a question I've studied. Um, Cuba obviously gained its independence <laughs> at some point from... Like, I, I'm very baseline ignorant on Cuba. It's not been something I've read too much about. So I can't really offer an informed opinion, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, Chris, do you want to mention that in voice mm-hmm. chat, or should I read it?
2: I saw you take yourself off mute but I can't hear you.
0: All right, well I'll bring it up then. Uh Chris mentions that he wanted to mention how anarchy was mentioned in both Trotsky and Bordiga and what it means. I th- Oh, Chris dropped. Okay. Okay, Chris just came back. Let's see if
2: Yeah, I picked up a little bit there. Yes.
3: Oh, can you hear me now? Ah, there
0: he is. Oh, yeah, no, we just couldn't hear I, you. I'm so sorry. To, like, if, 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 no, if you feel point, like, I was like well, people are being talked over or anything <laughs> like. like if it gets too chaotic, we <laughs> might go to a stack system. If everybody can be like, just respectful of whoever happens to be speaking at the time and not talk over people, then... Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, if if you're if you feel like you're talking and someone's just talking over you, maybe type and be like, "Hey, can anyone hear?" No, no, me? that was my bad. Discord's not that great all the time with that. So, uh, sorry. I sorry. Can I finish what I was saying about the etiquette policy? Sorry. Just like. Apologies. Yeah, if if we could, like, just avoid speaking over whoever the current speaker is, then we won't have to go to a stack system. But if it Uh, it kind of becomes a problem, then we'll just start using stack instead. And if people aren't familiar with stack, then we can explain it at the time. Uh, But anyway, Chris, if you want to go on. Uh,
3: So, when I was doing the readings, I was surprised that they both mentioned anarchy, and even Bordega um, talked about how, like, it was like, anar- or described it as um in the first stages, and what, because um, I, like, I, I know a lot more about Latin American um, revolutions, and I also um, know that there was a point in Spain where there was anarchist, like an anarchist movement, anarcho-syndicalism, and apparently there was, like, a conflict between the anarchists and the communists, and they ended up not working together. And you mean, like, in identity. the Civil War? Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm saying anything incorrectly. I, I don't no,
4: I just, to, I just want to clarify, like, that's what the period
3: you were referring to and not something else. Yeah, but um basically there's a lot of tension between anarchists, and communists and I find it kind of interesting how both sort of see anarchism as like the first <clears throat> or describe the first stage of communist I think revolution um, when, as when
0: Trotsky's talking about anarchy he's um, using it in I a more to gauge what people sense. Thought of that. Uh, he he mentions that the way that the soviet got the 1905 soviet got started was through the anarchy created during strikes he's not meaning that in a in a political sense he's just meaning like that the chaos that strikes create removes the ability for the central uh, official government to actually be able to control events and the greater chaos or anarchy can be caused by those strikes the more political power is up in the air for the grabs and hopefully by the soviet and in this instance, basically. So kind of your, your initial phase of the uh, revolution is kind of like a general strike where you're just trying to completely remove the, the levers of power from the existing government's hand. That way they can be seized by an emergent Soviet uh, organization. Now, when Bordiga uses it, he is talking about the anarcho syndicalist that you're referring to there. And he's, he's talking more about that same stage Trotsky's talking about, but kind of from a different perspective where it's organized at a, at a factory level basis because at present, at at the beginning of the general strike there is no soviet instead what is coordinating that general strike is going to be your trade unions that have to come together to form a strike committee and that's why i kind of like to think of a soviet as a strike committee that starts to seize political power for itself so that kind of very early stage of destabilizing uh, a government is it's done via strikes And that kind of gives it an anarcho-syndicalist tinge, because it's rooted directly economically in those factories, organizations, and that kind of lends itself well to the anarcho-syndicalist perspective. Does that kind of help answer your question a little bit? I can speak more broadly to, to communism and anarchism, if you like, but as it relates to the articles specifically here and the historical context here, that's kind of where that's coming from.
2: Yeah. I mean,
3: um, I know that in Chile, there Allende? was a point where um, during, uh, wow, I'm forgetting his name, Allende presidency where um, the economy shut down and there was basically anarcho syndicalism and just like trying to connect the dots. I think I need to refresh my history on Chile. But like how um, how people go from anarcho-syndicalism to um, to like overtaking, I think that's what probably was missed in Chile was the Soviet. I think it's, it connects it to a, a revolutionary uh, state where there was no revolutionary state in Chile, but there wasn't. <coughs> in um <clears throat> in russia where they took opportunity and i think especially uh made a dictatorship of the proletariat only allowing sort of working class to um participate in government i i don't know i was just probably like thinking to myself um about this thing and i definitely need to read reread chile chilean history but it was just sort of something that like was in my mind of like connecting anarcho-syndicalism to or drawing I think the your process basic of, analysis of the Chilean
0: revolution is pretty revolution much spot on the way, way process, i would describe uh, the chile revolution is it's exactly like the russian revolution if the Bolsheviks didn't exist, and Kerensky just got his way. And I know we don't know who Kerensky is just yet, but Kerensky is the Russian Allende, basically. Uh, and Allende is the Chilean Kerensky. But we'll, we'll get to who Kerensky is. Um, but yeah, if, if you brush up on your readings on Chile, do recommend me whatever books you decide to hit up, because that is something I'm interested in. We do have some readings on Chile in our history extension curriculum as well that i've got in there so we will approach that at some point too Uh, but i'd be curious if you have some different books than what i have there maybe something i haven't heard of or something that you'd like to read because would be interested in reading about that I think specifically what happened in Chile, like you said, is uh, there was a a massive, instead of a strike, there was a massive lockout by all the producers. They just locked all the workers out, and then the workers had to forcibly restart production. And since they did that themselves, they were then directing production. So it kind of immediately led to that sort of situation.
3: yeah i i would recommend books but they're like sort of not directly about chilean history they like um they're just viewing it like from different different perspectives like i have one on like the politic political art in chile and so it's not really specific so that's probably why i need like to brush up because the books that i got were not too direct yeah, about what was going on So if I do, I'll definitely put them in the chat. Sounds awesome.
5: That book on political art sounds very interesting. If you could uh, post a link or some info about that, I'd love to take a look at that too.
0: But yeah, cool. If anybody has any other thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, uh, whether that's just if they felt etiquette was a little off or if anything, you know, Otherwise, we can uh, wrap up. Maybe while people are here, if they like, we can boot up one of these amazing Discord games. We can play, like, the Putt-Putt game or something. Turn it into social hour. That's right, we'll get back to it. I like the Putt-Putt thing. We've got to figure out how to launch that.
4: Oh, the return
2: of the Discord games? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> I do
4: think it's. Um, I do think it's kind of interesting that we live in the like the current age we live in, like we have like all this access to all, all these texts, but like especially with me, like because I only have like one even remotely left leaning bookstore, and that's like an hour away from me. It's just that, like, if I go to my library or I go to, like, a college library, it's, like, you all these books, but, like, just looking at, like, the spawns and, like, the little inserts, it's, like, I have no idea if this is actually relevant to what I and need. And that
0: is the exact motivation that then, to. Like, 100 uh, in, kind of sure like I oh, a hundred pages in, it's, like, oh, this that isn't I think good at all. All of the basics needed to kind of understand and navigate those sort of waters, you know? I think if you go through the curriculum.
2: Go ahead, Chris. Yeah,
3: I'm. -hmm. Oh, I was going. I was just going to say that. um... Fuck. Sorry. Um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. (laughs) You can go ahead. Yeah.
4: I mean, it is kind of funny sometimes. Like, um, like I'll be reading a like just a stack of books on the shelf. And like sometimes it's really easy because like the library I go to has like a lot of old books from like the 20s to current day, and like sometimes they really show their age. Like what's very like reactionary and American and right wing, and then others. It's like, is it?
2: <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: Oh, I remember. Like, what
3: uh, I was what's that? It's definitely um, that's definitely trans. Um, they definitely shut down a lot of. I know, particularly, uh, black owned bookstores were shut down by, you know, CIA and shit like that. Oh my gosh. Boy, the
1: United States is such what? a
3: hypocritical country.
1: What? I had no idea what? about blacks.
4: But the US would never do anything wrong. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, well, we yeah, are the land of last democracy and oh, freedom. Uh,
0: the curriculum was kind of designed yeah, to I'm super shocked. by the tools. <laughs> you know? If you go through the whole thing, hopefully you'll feel pretty comfortable reading just kind of whatever random thing after the fact and competent to tackle it, you know? Yeah, fire away. Right.
1: I, I kind of do, I have a question. Why are we studying, uh, since it was we, kind of the first the fully successful revolution in the first proletarian place? Proletarian
0: revolution. I think it kind of serves as a good template for understanding like like future revolutions and stuff like that.
3: Um, would it be possible to uh, use like some of the these resources for my own like um organization because i do
0: um yes absolutely uh hit me in the dms do a lot of work I with i'm a dsa member like as his juice so we should like definitely coordinate education.
2: stuff awesome i
4: think I've been thinking about joining my local DSA, but I don't know if they're like a good chapter or if they're just kind of like